0: Welcome friends and comrades. Tonight's class of the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies is going to continue in the book Karl Marx Beacon for Our Times by Gus Hall who is the General Secretary of the old Communist Party USA and he wrote this book which is excellent and we're going to do more and more of his book at the People's School. Tonight's class we are on page 37 which is called The Revolutionary Legacy of Karl Marx. And it was a conference that they had in New York City in 1983. It was on the centennial of the death of Karl Marx.
1: Comrade, Karl Marx would have greatly appreciated and enjoyed this conference. He would have noted that it has all the earmarks and ingredients of a law-governed historic event. Comrade Marx would have recognized the significance of holding this conference in a capitalist country that has more than any other daily proved how correct his theories and conclusions are today. Comrade Marx would have especially appreciated that we have with us today representatives of the party from the first land of socialism, the first country to overthrow capitalism and open the path for a new kind of human society that is on this side of history's dividing line, the Great Party of Lenin, the Communist Party of the USSR. Comrade Marx would have been excited and honored that we have as our guest and participant the leader of a truly heroic Communist Party, a party that is leading the struggles against the most reactionary, racist, bigoted capitalist country in the world, the General Secretary of the Communist Party of South Africa. And Karl Marx would have taken a special pride and interest in the fact that we are going to have with us a representative of a country building socialism which speaks his mother tongue, the German Democratic Republic. I can only guess what motivates the State Department. It is possible they thought Marx in the original language was too much. However, if Karl Marx were here with us today, there are some things happening that even he would have a hard time coping with. For instance, that our country has a dangerous, sinister simpleton as president, who proclaims to the world that if you are not for the nuclear arms race, you are not only against Reagan, but also against God and furthermore, that anyone who opposes this is a business agent for the devil himself. Marx would have been somewhat astonished and puzzled to hear a 20th century president declare that the capitalist world can meet the present day challenge only if it has as much faith in God as the communists have faith in man. To this backhanded compliment, Marx would have chuckled and replied, yes, Nothing that is human is alien to me. To make this point, Marx would have told the story about the city dweller who said to the farmer, we should thank God for all the good vegetables. In response, the farmer agreed, but added that without his hard work, God could never have done it. In a more serious vein, Marx would have given Reagan his lifelong credo. I have faith in human beings generally. But I have special faith and confidence in the working class, the revolutionary class that will bring about a truly humane society, in which, by the way, fanatics like Reagan would have no place.
0: I have one thing to note. This was written in 1983, and it's interesting. There was a German Democratic Republic. There was a Soviet Union. And apartheid was still ruling. South Africa. And the world was a different world then. It was before Perestroika, which came in in 85 with Gorbachev. It was a world where the only thing seemed similar to where we are now, where they called the President of the United States a simpleton. I see that as comparable to the one we have in the White House now. But other than that, it was a world where socialism was on the advance, and many of us continue to fight for the memories of both the Soviet Union and the German Democratic Republic. Anybody want to ask any questions on what I just said?
2: What was the position of Gas Hall in relation to the role of force in history? And Don't we think that Trump is trying to totally imitate Reagan policies in this century when the country is in total decline, economic decline, cultural, spiritual, and all aspects of decline?
0: Well, the second question is easy. I agree with you that there's a certain similarity between the administration of Ronald Reagan, who was basically what we used to call a grade B actor in Hollywood, and someone like Trump, who had his own TV show recently, The Apprentice. So both come from that Hollywood kind of a presentation, and I agree with you on that. But the first question you mentioned, the position of the TPUSA and Gus Hall at the time, was that monopoly capital, which we had in this country at the time, we still have, was going through a period of constantly crisis, boom and bust, and that eventually a situation will have to take place where the people of this country would have to put a stop to that and go to the advance, to socialism. What the party position was at the time was that it would be possible to vote at the ballot box for socialist candidates, but that the ruling class would prevent them from taking office, even if they're elected. And once they do that, the working class, through self defense, after they elected candidates to bring socialism, the working class, through self defense, have to defend that position and that's where the revolution comes in ultimately only a revolution would be able to put into effect the achievement that the working class vote for
2: i have a comment on that because that policy was very anti-leninist because lenin analyzed history more so production throughout history and he concluded that there is no way for transition without force I think the USA line was kind of revisionist ideology like Alexander Kerensky and Lenin. I mean, you cannot reconcile both.
0: Here's where it comes together. It comes together on the issue of defending. Lenin talked about defending a revolution. And the working class can take up arms to defend their revolution if the ruling class hits back at them with military force. The working class has a right to defend that revolutionary action. And therefore, that's where the revolution would start. So, in a way, I understood what you said. Some people can use the word fudge. In English, we use fudge the point. But he does come back at it by saying that the revolution can be defended.
3: I noticed an article that was written about Two weeks ago, for the New York Times, and it was from an Israeli sociologist. The name of the article was Karl Marx, prophet of the president question mark I've never heard anybody that claims to be a scientist that can attack somebody like Karl Marx with such arbitrary slanderous reasons. He attacked Marx because of his family's religious history, but that was the whole idea of Marx probably being a materialist for one reason. But Marx admits that that's also why he progressed into a revolutionary state. When we study, teach, speak, and
1: write about the life and work of Karl Marx, we tend to concentrate almost exclusively on his intellectual and political side. We rarely delve into the Karl Marx, who is also a devoted husband, a loving family man, a poor full-time revolutionary, who was hounded, harassed, persecuted, and exiled most of his life. In fact, the life of Marx and his family was filled with much of the same pain and poverty that millions of Americans are suffering today. Rejecting the comfortable life of a middle-class lawyer Carl and Jenny took the path of revolution, hardship, and self-sacrifice. Often unable to pay their rent, they were evicted from their apartment, forced to sell all their belongings to pay their bills. Marx had a hard time trying to make a living, and a harder one holding down a job. He was fired from jobs as a newspaper man and a warehouse clerk because his handwriting was so poor. And although he worked hard at it, he could never have made a living as a poet. In fact, after writing the following verse, Marx wrote to his father that he had come to the sad conclusion that his literary talent was extremely limited. Not being a poet myself, I would say it could be worse. Therefore, let us always dare, never stopping, never resting, never made so dull with care that we finished with protesting shall we brood and make a pact to accept a yoke no never for to see demand and act these remain with us forever we should be grateful that marx was perceptive and objective enough to recognize where his talents were not throughout their lives the marx family faced poverty and were not for their beloved friend and colleague frederick engels It is unlikely Marx would have been able to make his monumental contributions. It is important to study Marx, the student, the philosopher, a poet, a scientist, a newspaper man, an organizer and revolutionary, as well as a family man, friend, and comrade, as a total human being, in the process of development, growth, and change. Marx was a truly universal human being whose greatest passions were people, the working class, and an unquenchable thirst for knowledge and truth. This rich combination produced a world outlook which has shaken the world to its very foundations. Acutely aware that Marxism is now the foundation of society over one-third of the world and the guiding light for millions more, fighting for a better life. Many capitalist ideologies have given up trying to prove Marx outdated and irrelevant, but they have not given up. On March 14th, the centenary of Marx's death, the New York Times reached into the very bottom of their anti-Marxist offensive and came up with a four-column editorial diatribe, What Marx Hid. It is a piece of garbage slandering Marx's private life. It is proof of the total ideological bankruptcy of the ruling class in its war against Marxism. It is the ultimate failure of an attempt to destroy the indestructible. For Marxism has become a great, powerful material force that is living and breathing and revolutionizing the world through the working class. Marxism-Leninism, is the theory and method of socialist revolution. And revolution is the locomotive of history. It has become a law of social development that the further humanity progresses from the age of Marx, the closer it moves towards Marxism-Leninism. Today, there is not a country in the world that does not have an active Marxist-Leninist movement. And there is nothing the New York Times fears more than this. Yes, the specter hangs heavier over the capitalist world. As the sun was setting on the day Karl Marx died, Frederick Engels, his closest co-worker and dearest friend, penned a most perceptive epitaph. Mankind is shorter by a head and the greatest head of our times at that. With keen dialectical insight, Engels reflected on the effects Marx's passing would have on the class struggle. The final victory is certain, but circuitous past, temporary and local errors, things which even now are so unavoidable, will become more common than ever. Engels' premonition was right on target. As we know, there have been deviations and aberrations both temporary and local. To illustrate the profound impact of Marx's death in 1883, let me quote some typical reactions. On his passing, the New York Central Labor Council passed a resolution. The world of workers has lost one of its greatest teachers, one of its warmest friends. Karl Marx was the one who over 30 years ago called upon all working men of all countries to unite and organize for the purpose of establishing justice upon this earth. Let us all unite in honoring his memory. The present leaders of the New York Central Labor Council would do well to take a look at what its greatest teacher and warmest friend advocated. Leading Boston daily newspaper editorialized, Karl Marx was one of the most remarkable men of our time. A great student and remarkable organizer. After 100 years, we should add remarkable for all time. A week after Marx's death, Jose Marti, the greatest Cuban revolutionary, wrote, Marx showed great insight into the cause of human misery. He was a man driven by a burning desire to do good. He saw in everyone what he carried in himself rebellion, highest ideals struggle and if nearly 50 years later in ohio the episcopalian bishop montgomery brown observed "Marx, though dead yet speaketh he is speaking even more widely and more persuasively in death than in life of course another 50 years later we can add mark still speaketh ever more widely and persuasively so it has been down through the years Eulogies and tributes in every part of the world. They could fill volumes. Would we argue today that Karl Marx has not earned these honors, tributes, and bouquets to his life and work? Well, the one person who would have objected to all the praise and honors is Karl Marx himself. Marx would have expressed caution and reservation about such personalized praise, even from his colleague and co thinker, Frederick Engels. He would have said self-consciously something like, thank you, my dear comrade. I certainly appreciate your expressions of appreciation and praise, but you must remember that we have to place the contributions of individuals, including myself, into the framework of the dynamic of real life. We must place the individual's contributions within the context of their relationship with the real makers of history, the people. He would have thoughtfully added, I may have influenced history, but I did not create it. I did not invent class struggle. I simply explained its role as the prime mover of history. For more reasons than just his personal modesty, Marx would have been concerned that the honors and bouquets heaped on individuals may give the wrong lead and would, in fact, appear in contradiction with one of his greatest contributions to human thought, the role of the individual and ideas in history. Marx revealed that in the past, the accepted view was the primary cause for all historic changes was to be found in changing ideas. From this followed the view that individuals, monarchs, feudal lords, statesmen, Philosophers, thinkers, politicians somehow create ideas and then put them into practice. In other words, motivated by personal ambition or desire, love of God and country, etc., great men perform great deeds and thereby make and change history. Marx, of course, was the first to disprove scientifically the concept that history is the product of the whims of individuals, he viewed ideas and thoughts as reflections of the real world, the substance of life's reality, and not the other way around. He said, with me, on the contrary, the ideal is nothing else than the material world reflected by the human mind and translated into forms of thought. This most important new premise became the foundation stone of Marx's philosophical studies. Marx observed that the material world was a reality long before the human brain appeared on the scene to reflect that world. Before Marx, all of life, the world and history of the world were viewed as a big mishmash of events, as incidents and happenings without rhyme or reason. Things happened. Events occurred, but there was no sensible explanation for them. Marx made sense out of human society and history. He revealed the orderly, working principles of change. He revealed their inner laws of motion, of society and history. That objective laws and order operate in social life. That people can understand and utilize these laws of social development in their own interest most important marx proved that there is a direction in which history is irrevocably moving and that by knowing the laws of its motion people can act to advance influence and accelerate the direction this was a great contribution to the working class marxism is the theoretical scientific expression of the vital interests of the working class armed with Marxism-Leninism, the working class influences, advances and accelerates the direction of history. Marxism is a guide to action. It charts the course of the working class and the peoples of the world. Applying Marx's conception of society and history, Lenin wrote, the chaos and arbitrariness that had previously reigned in the views on history and politics, were replaced by a strikingly integral and harmonious scientific theory, which shows how, in consequence of the growth of productive forces out of one system of social life, another and higher system developed. How capitalism, for instance, grows out of feudalism. Of course, the capitalist class rejects all concepts of law-governed processes because they expose the brutal, anti-human nature of capitalism and show that just as capitalism grew out of feudalism capitalism is now on its way off the stage of history to make way for another and higher system marx would have argued that no matter how brilliant his thoughts and contributions they were not byproducts of his instincts insights institutions or revelations they were solid scientific conclusions based on an intense, exhaustive study of accurate, in-depth observations of reality, society, and the accumulated knowledge of all humanity. His theories, concepts, and conclusions were based on the study of the laws, the inner, objective working present in all things. And we're to the next section now, appearance and essence. In the process of his exhaustive studies, Marx created a new way of studying, a new approach to probing questions, a new method of observing all things. He showed why it was always necessary to penetrate, to get beneath the surface or veneer, and not to accept the appearance of a thing as the real thing. Just as you really cannot tell a book by its cover, so you cannot know social and economic processes by how they appear to the naked eye. Marx observed on many occasions, the importance of scientific investigation and held that science would be unnecessary if the outward appearances and inner essence of things directly coincided. In other words, if the inner essence and the appearance were in harmony, then all one would have to do is look at or take a picture. This is important because the appearances in most cases are not only different from the essence, but they can be very misleading. For instance, to many it appears that the A&P supermarket is in business to feed the people. That General Motors wants all the people to have new cars. That Reagan and the Pentagon really want to help the people of El Salvador. But the essence of what they are all really after does not correspond to the appearance. To find the essence in society, one must look for the class and economic interests behind all action, politics, principles, institutions, and policy. Laws of motion. Here Marxism comes to a very fundamental question. In order to study the essence of things in depth and in general, It is necessary to know the laws of motion. This simply means to study the laws of the essence of things. Since everything in reality is in constant motion, continually changing in law-governed ways, therefore one does not study something that may or may not happen, not something that is accidental, but a constantly developing process. A study of the essence The substance, the essential qualities of things is a study of the laws, a study of how and why all processes develop and change. This is necessary because one cannot really comprehend the essence of anything without some knowledge of its inner laws. To know the laws is to know the present. But even more important, The only way one can gain knowledge about what is coming in the future is to know about the laws that bring about all change. This enables one to predict scientifically. Over 100 years ago, based on his knowledge of the laws of capitalist development, Marx saw the inevitable development of big monopolies. And if you know in advance what's coming, including what your opponent is going to do, you have a big advantage. Today, for instance, based on the inner laws of imperialism and monopolies, as revealed by Lenin, we know how U.S. capitalism must operate, must fall into and out of constant crises, must maximize profits, and must ultimately be replaced by socialism. Thus, we also know that the role of the class that will bring about the revolutionary change to socialism, and we have the tools to develop tactics towards this inevitable change. All this knowledge is based on our understanding of the objective laws of motion and social development. Now, there are also some laws about how laws themselves operate. They can help us in our understanding. For instance, a law operates without any exception to the rule. A law operates objectively. That is, regardless of what people think or want. For example, all bodies possessing matter are subject to the laws of gravity. The pull of the fingers of gravity makes no exceptions. Gravity tugs at the coattails of everything, no matter what people think or do. Or another example, no matter how classes and class relations may change in the capitalist system, as long as there exist exploiters and exploited, there will always be class struggle between them. That is a law. It is important for the working class to understand why and how this law operates, or another. As long as there are imperialist powers, imperialist exploitation and plunder, as in Africa, Asia, Central and South America, there will be anti-imperialist struggles against them. That is a law. One of Marx's outstanding contributions was that he not only advocated getting to the essence of things, but stressed that this knowledge should be used to change things. He was not simply for knowledge for the sake of knowledge, which many before him had advocated. In his explanations of the role of the working class, of class struggle, of the laws of social development, Marx revealed to the workers of the world their own philosophy and science as an all-powerful weapon that is guiding our class to victories worldwide. Marxism-Leninism is the material force that is the essence of the world revolutionary process. As Marx would say today, Engels, Lenin and he were able to influence history because they were able to uncover the objective laws of social and economic processes. They were able to reveal what makes all societies tick.
2: His level of knowledge of Marxism Leninism was so profound, and I don't even seem to recognize any trace of empiricism like Anglo American empiricism. So, was he trained in the Soviet Union or in the philosophy of Marxism Leninism, or he's just self educated?
0: My understanding is that many of the leaders were sent to Moscow to study. And there was an institute called the Institute of Marxism-Leninism. So I know many of them, Henry Winston was there, Gus Hall was there. How long they stayed there, I don't know. But the problem was, it's one thing to learn something in the classroom. We all know that. It's another thing to apply that to society.
3: Gus also had his own history in his labor struggles. He started out in the unemployed councils, then he became a steel worker. He was involved in the little steel strike, and he was also fundamental in developing some of these tactics that they used and pioneered to fight back against the bosses. Gus organized the thing where they were trying to bring scabs in by light aircraft. GUS formed an anti-aircraft battalion where they all had hunting rifles and, like many people, all at the same time fired at the planes and then knocked down a plane or two and it prevented the bosses from getting in scabs. In the future, Ho Chi Minh would use that concept to develop some of their own handkerchiefs against technology and anti-aircraft that they didn't have. So I think all that pretty interesting, too.
0: Thank you for that contribution, Comrade. One of the things that was a driving home point is
1: how humble Marx would have been, and also that these are processes. And we're individuals who contribute to these processes, but none of us are creating the system ourselves. We're just influencing the process and learning the laws to try and accelerate that in a meaningful way.
3: I've always admired
1: about Marx the fact that he can be so objective and so clear about things. It's very, very difficult to shake off subjectivity and the learned and the acculturation that you come with. And that's very impressive. That's why when I first read Marx, it was like the scale fell for my eyes. I could understand things so much better. I like the way it is
0: synopsized and put together.
3: Has anybody written a biography of Hall?
0: Gus Hall, a biography. it was put out by Progress Books in 1981
3: or something. They did put a biography of Gus just after he died. But Sam Webb and them sabotaged it, and they never published it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they even burned all the copies. They have no idea what was in that book.
2: We have to focus a lot about Reminder at all times that everybody has to participate and also translate the education into practical deeds. That right. is the essence of our position, because the future of this country depends on what we are learning right now. That's the only future this country has.
0: Correct, comment. I agree with you.
1: I really like how he gave numerous examples that basically answer the question that mm-hmm. I've heard people ask about why is Marxism a science? And I think that he helps give numerous examples to break that down and explain that to
2: people. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.